0: Hello, this is Lucas, and this is Matthias, from the Common Thread podcast out of the Howard Thurman Center at BU. You'll also be hearing from Kobe. This is the third episode in our series on mental health, ahead of the Coffee and Conversation on the subject, held Friday, October 14th.
1: Be sure to check out our first two episodes with students Emmy Parks and Saravia Vajram. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Carrie Landa, Director of Behavioral Medicine
0: at SHS. Today we have with us Dr. Carrie Landa, who is the Director of Behavioral Medicine at BU. Thank you, Dr. Landa, for speaking with us. No problem. Um, So over the past few weeks, Dr. Landa, we've been talking to a few students about their experiences with behavioral medicine. And while overall we see that um, students are in the end able to get the support they need, we have seen that some of these students are have experienced difficulties um, both in dealing with their own problems but sort of trying to get the help they need
1: and just navigating the system. Exactly. I mean, if yeah. you, if 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 you if you're not really familiar with you know how to how to go about advocating for yourself, how about how to go about um, finding the resource, right? Exactly yeah. finding the resources that that you might need and everything it can it can get tricky especially when you're in a dark place.
0: Of course. Um so one main thing that we've heard um students really sort of saying over and over again is that when they try to get an appointment they have to wait weeks sometimes and one person even claimed that they weren't able to get the same clinician and that sounds kind of odd to me because I've heard other students say they've had no problem getting the same clinician. Um, could you talk to us a bit about how appointments are made and how sort of they're prioritized?
2: Sure. So um, students can always call and make an appointment obviously. There are times of the semester when it's busier that we definitely book out further into the semester. Um, I think at one point this semester because of spring break week we were booking out you know, after spring break when students were calling before spring break, which um, is inevitable. There are times where students wind up getting booked out a couple weeks because the appointment times that are offered to them also don't work for their schedule. So it could be that someone was offered a time that week even but because they don't take that appointment because they have internship or class or a group project or something, um, that they don't take it. Um, whenever a student makes an appointment and they say I can't wait that long or say that it's a more urgent issue, there's always a triage clinician available that they can speak with and potentially get a sooner appointment. How that is done is by assessing the risk and what the presenting issue is. If, it, if there is any sort of risk, a safety concern, um, For the individual or a concern for the safety of the community, that is obviously high priority. We get the student in right away. Sometimes we say, come right in right now. Um, Sometimes it is within that week. And this is how all kind of mental health triaging systems work. You know, you're assessing for safety because that is obviously number one priority. What's difficult, I think, for an 18 year old, what feels like urgent and Um, high um, concern is obviously very different than what from a mental health perspective can sometimes be high risk or high concern. Um, So sometimes it's explaining that to the student. Sometimes it's redirecting the student to a resource on campus that might be beneficial in the interim until they get an appointment.
0: And I know specifically on um, emergency situations, BU is unique in that clinicians are on call 24 hours of the day.
2: Yes, we are. (laughs) So that is very unique. So we cover our own on-call. So when there is a psychiatric emergency, our clinicians are called. To the point I was speaking about earlier, we've had people call because they can't sleep in the middle of the night. You know, that, again, that's not a psychiatric emergency to us, but to a student who is having trouble sleeping, that feels more urgent. So part of this is really about education and educating Mm -hmm. people what constitutes an emergency where do you kind of dig into your own resources? Okay, can you listen to some soft music? Can you drink a cup of tea? Um, where you're not going to be able to get something in the middle of the night to help you um, until the next morning or something. Yeah, sure. If that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. And I, I think also it's in, it's important to understand what what um, what you guys are actually you know what your purpose is, what mm-hmm. your mission is in terms of treatment. I, I, as That's far a great as I, I yeah, as, as far as I know, you guys aren't really equipped to do like long-term, long-range treatment, therapeutic, therapeutic practices, et cetera, et cetera. It's Correct. more of a short-term type thing where you're trying to help the, the student get through whatever crisis period, whatever urgency there might be, and then okay. you try to help them find resources that help them on a more medium Correct. to long-term basis. So Correct. could you talk
2: a little bit about that? Absolutely. So there's, as you guys know, 33,000 students at BU, about 27,000 which are eligible for services here. Okay. okay so you know looking at our staff size and looking at the student body that's that's a, a lot so we yeah. could never offer and no universities in current practice are offering ongoing long-term treatment unless they have a a full-built insurance model, which we don't hear. Services are free. So exactly what you said, we have students come in or um, assess students, whether it's on the phone or when they come in, um, do an evaluation. Sometimes write an evaluation. We say this is a longer-term treatment need. And rather than starting in-house you're better suited to start out-of-house because you have three years of school left ahead of you. Rather, establish a relationship with a provider in the community. Absolutely. Or it's a super short-term thing that they feel just a few sessions of more behavioral-based therapy or intervention or immediate support around a more specific crisis, like Mm -hmm. you had mentioned, would be beneficial. The referral process can get a little bit trickier, though. We have students from 50 states, right, and then international students. So many students have different insurances, Part of you know, learning how to navigate a healthcare system, which, again, you know, I see myself as a clinician but also as an educator, is teaching students how to find providers who are going to be you know, covered by your insurance. So our clinicians will say to a student, go on your insurance webpage or call your insurance company and find a list of providers. Bring it back to the next session. We'll go through it and help you find a provider in that way. So you know, I think when students say, oh, I didn't get a name of someone I can see or I didn't get hooked up with therapy... Sometimes there's work involved in that. Yeah. You know, as myself as an adult, you know, if I have to access a provider in the community, I'm going to jump on my insurance webpage and find
1: absolutely. the name of a
2: provider to do um, absolutely to suit my needs.
1: And and we talked a little bit about this this as well early on. Is 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 just that you know, in, in navigating that system, you actually you, you also have to understand that at this particular point in time, just given kind of uh, convergent forces, there's a supply and demand issue as well. Absolutely. Um, we're severely understaffed relative to, to the kind of demand that we're seeing on the mental health side. Could you mm-hmm. you talk about how that affects your job and, and how you guys try to position yourselves relative to students?
2: Yeah, it is You know, it is hard. The university is moving towards getting more staffing, yeah. um, which is wonderful. It doesn't mean we're just going to throw more clinicians at it, because that's yeah. actually not what is gonna help it. Okay. Um, I think part of it, and you know, the voice that we've been hearing from students over and over again, is wait times, is getting yeah. in quicker. So we're looking at a model where we could have same day triage, every day. Every day students mm-hmm. will be able to come in for an evaluation, which will be a quick evaluation. Right. In those quick evaluations, those students are going to have to understand, this isn't setting you up for long-term therapy. This might be a referral in the community. This might be a referral to a group, because that's actually what the best recommended treatment for the issue that you have is. Um, But students expect, oh, I'm seeing this person. I want to set up long-term treatment. And unfortunately, again, to your point, it's not not the kind of model that a university could support either, Um, especially when we aren't billing insurance and we're offering, you know, a... A service that you know could be built to insurances obviously, right. but you know that's just not the model that student health does.
0: Could you talk a bit about um, the referral program in particular? because we know that we've heard several students talk about how um, they sort of went out and tried to find a th- psychologist or find a psychi- uh, psychiatrist and sort of as an issue in general with um, mental health, they would go through a list of, say, 50 therapists that their insurance offered, mm-hmm. and they would call every single one. And the only one they got a response from was when they lied and said, oh, someone referred me to you. But for all the other ones, they just said, hey, do you have appointments available? So yeah. how does that sort of...
2: I mean, I can't speak to what community providers do. It's, yeah. you know, it's, uh, there's, you know, Boston area actually has like the most psychiatry or mental health workers per square mile. Yeah. We're so resourced and we're yeah. so fortunate here. I don't know what people do in their private practices. I can't speak to that. What I do know is that when students call here and ask for the name of a provider in the community, all the providers that we refer students to that we know are vetted. We we that is something we take so much pride in. Actually, other universities have modeled themselves after what we do in having provider open houses. We spend three hours in um, you know in December we did it last year meeting with hundreds of providers in the community to find out what their specialty is, what they're like. You know, yeah. if they're quirky and uncomfortable, we don't want to send students to them, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's such an important part of how we're referring students. So, you know, if a student pulls up, goes on their own and finds a provider, um, you know, we, we can't kind of speak to what they're doing in their practices. Of right? course,
0: yeah.
1: And do you, do, you, do you want to talk a little bit about how maybe the, 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 that that the that is kind of shifted in terms of um, demand because from the numbers we understand that that's it, it's something that's been becoming an, uh, an increasing concern on campus just in terms of sheer volume and numbers um,
2: demand in terms of uh,
1: stu- students students seeking appointments students seeking help yeah um,
2: they're definitely, and again, this is a national issue. Right. We're seeing a trend, um, more and more students. I think part of it is the great work of destigmatization, and mm-hmm. students recognizing signs of distress and being able to come forward and seek support when it's needed. Um, so there is a growing demand, mm-hmm. and part of you know my job as a director is not only to be able to have an efficient process in house, but it's also working really hard to network with providers in the community yeah. that we can refer students to because we have such an ongoing demand right. here. Right right, 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 right,
1: and and I mean what what are, what are your thoughts on it as a as a clinician like do you, do, you, do, you, do you have any idea or do you have any hypothesis as to why um, we're kind of coming to grips with the issue now? you talked a little bit about destigmatization, but I mean, is there is there anything else you could attribute it
2: to, or you know, it's hard, I think what the Destigmatization is part of it. Students mm-hmm. willing to seek support is part of it. I think that is one big piece of it. I mm-hmm. think the other part of it that, you know, this is a conversation that people are repeating over and over. You look up articles about, you know, kind of the state of college mental health. Why is it? Um, and, you know, I, there was an article that I was um, quoted in and talking mm-hmm. about this. And, you know, uh, I think some students were not happy with the statements that I made. But part of it is a generation, generational issue about kind of resilience and yeah. how st- the current generation does tolerate distress. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we can say past generations did it differently, whether it was better or not, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Um, But we're seeing the current generation manages distress and stress differently. And unfortunately, some of those different ways are not as healthy. And whether it's, you know, because of societal pressures, because it's social pressures, I think technology has a huge, huge influence on it. Um, It's, it's scary. I think technology has made all of our lives better in so many ways because it's convenient. Yeah. but I think there's also been a really kind of negative impact from it and you know people seeing what other people are doing and not yeah. doing and expectations of immediacy and right. expectations of wanting it when you want it, how you want it in the moment. Um, those things have all really contributed to people not being able to sit with distress or sit with a feeling that's uncomfortable because you can usually Google it away, or text yeah. it away, or Facebook it away. Um, so I think there's a lot of contributing factors. Um, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist sure. or a sure, sociologist, sure, sure. Yeah. so I speak from a um, broad perspective, but you know, from an eyeball test, that's what yeah, like I say. Yeah, I because mean, you,
1: you get to see the kind of students yeah. that come into your service, and yeah. you know, you're close to the student body on that level. Um, you know that, that also begs the que- that, that that also begs the question like what is a as a community first and foremost on campus mm-hmm. can we do slash should we do mm-hmm. to kind of better to kind of better approach and get a better handle on it and then if you want and then if you want to take it you know on a much broader basis like just as a society what what do yeah. we need to do better, um, in order to kind of really come to grips with it
2: I think you know part of it is supporting each other having a community that supports each other and supports people Um, to me that is especially on a college campus that's so Mm -hmm. big that's linear that's not connected Mm -hmm. and doesn't feel tight and small Mm -hmm. Um, having a community that knows about resources that knows about what to do that can help recognize signs of things Um, having social supports is a huge part of this and people feeling connected to each other and being able to be empathic towards each other Mm -hmm. when everyone's on their phones and looking down and doing things via text and Facebook and snapchat we lose human connection, Absolutely. and I think that I really feel like that's a part of it. Part of you know the, the um, program that we launched earlier in January, the Terriers Connect program, which that's what this program teaches in a lot of ways. It teaches empathy. It teaches how to listen to each other and talk to each other when someone is expressing distress or having difficulty in some way. It also teaches how to help someone advocate to access care or what are real significant signs of distress that you really need to get someone in touch with someone immediately. Um, So, you know, I think for, for on a college level, I think it's about people feeling connected, you know, getting out of their heads academically, getting out of their books academically, getting off of their phones, getting off of electronics, and just being a community, I, I think is a really big part of it. And that's, not on just a college level; it's on a societal level too. Sure.
0: What has been the response to this program? I know you've been slowly rolling it out over the past year. I mean, you mentioned that you've been working with like Greek life and other groups, mm-hmm. and what it, is...
2: it's been amazing. I've been—I mean, I really have been amazed by people's interest in it. We've trained over two hundred fifty faculty, staff, and students. since January uh, since February 1 because January we had the actual um, trainer training Mm -hmm. Um, the demand we already have trainings lined up through the summer Um, it's it's amazing it's been amazing the biggest interest that we've seen have been from faculty and staff though which is so great because that is the faculty and staff recognizing that they need to be able to help support students and have a conversation because again my clinicians and I are not the ones who are out in the trenches. Yeah. It's the faculty, staff, it's Res Life. We trained every administrator in Res Life, and it was one of the best trainings. Every They're so informed. It was really yeah. just a great conversation. So I think being able to have more people involved in that training also helps with this.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: That's so, I mean, on that, with outreach, we have Matthias who had a great experience with his professor reaching out yeah. to mental health services, and we hear about Res Life being trained, but What are some other areas that you've heard in your experience that maybe could benefit from this training or could use better outreach methods?
2: I mean, I think I have to say our campus does an amazing job for being such a big campus in knowing how to get support for a student when they need it. Um, are there populations on our campus and nationally that struggle more? Absolutely. The GLBTQ community, minority student population, athletes in general. These are student populations that are known to be at higher risk on some levels. So is more outreach for those populations and the um, faculty and staff who work with those populations um, important? Absolutely. But again, I think this is about training an entire community. And if you don't know the answer, your friend might. And if, you know, a faculty member doesn't know the answer, maybe their colleague next door does. That's why we create, as part of this program, we created these stickers that identify who has been trained and who knows the answers to these important questions. Um, And hopefully we'll get more stickers out there. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Um, you you're, you 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 were talking a little bit um, b- before interview about about this pilot program that you guys had to kind of reconfigure mm-hmm. the last minute that you submitted a proposal. to do, yeah. do, do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure. So you know, as um, President Brown had announced, there was an increase in the student health and wellness fee funding. Um, so and that funding is coming to student health services. Um, part part of it is coming to student health services to um, increase our services and resources here. So my job as an administrator is to figure out what's the best way to use that funding. Um, And I had said earlier, you know, it's not just throwing more bodies of clinicians at it because that's not necessarily going to decrease wait times and help students navigate referral processes and those kind of things. Um, So, you know, part of the proposal that I'm um, putting forward is not just increasing staffing on some level, but also having someone who could, evaluation clinicians who I said, you know, can be here daily, students can come in. Daily, not have to wait for an intake, but have a 20 minute quick evaluation, risk assessment, get a sense of what's going on, and figure out a game plan from the get go rather than having to wait a few weeks to do that.
1: Absolutely, um, and that, that, that kind of that, that that kind of that's a nice segue into to the next um yeah, the next topic that, that that I just wanted to touch on briefly was that of the the support system. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a notoriously tricky thing mm-hmm. to develop, to configure, mm-hmm. and how do you go about doing it? How do you navigate it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I know one of the one of the concerns that that I experienced personally when when, when I was struggling with, with with developing my own support network and that I've perceived in other students' experiences is just in actually getting the basic structure of a support system in place. Mm-hmm. And I know that right now behavioral medicine isn't necessarily designed to do that mm-hmm. at this particular point in time. Um, but I was just wondering if if um, as a clinician and also as an administrator, you had some thoughts on on how both the student body and also the administration could could better approach developing um, support networks for students because, Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what's really going to make a difference Mm -hmm. for for somebody is, is whether they have you know, resources they can rely on in a pinch.
2: Absolutely. And resources means different things. Resources means peers. Resources means clinicians and therapists that you might have. Resources means faculty, staff, you know, advisors who you might have, family, friends. So support systems means different things. Mm -hmm. So on a university level, you know, the dean's office does amazing work, student activities office. So having social networks is a big part of Mm -hmm. it. You know, our job in behavioral medicine is to help navigate the support systems in terms of healthcare. Mm -hmm. right? So having people here to help students advocate for themselves and get those providers in the community if that's what's needed. Yeah. I think on an academic level, you know, the Educational Resource Center, academic yeah. advising offices, those right. are the people who help create those support systems. Right. At such a big place, there has to be multiple systems involved. Yeah. It's not just about this office, Right. behavioral medicine. Right. You know, and I think that's
1: very important to understand. Of course. That it, it's, it really has, it's a comprehensive issue. It's not just you guys. It's everybody else as well that therefore coordination is that much more difficult because you have so many exactly. different
2: entities involved. Right. Exactly. And it's such a big place. Yeah.
0: Right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah. Anytime, really Any Thank time. you so much.
2: Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Dr. Carrie Landa for making time for us. If you haven't already, you can listen to our first two episodes on bucommonthread.com. Be sure to attend the coffee and conversation on mental health held October 14th from 3 to 5 p.m. in the Howard Thurman Center.
1: You can get updated about our new releases by signing up on our website or by subscribing on iTunes. We hope you enjoyed this conversation in our series on mental health. Stay tuned for more riveting stories this semester. Until then, we'll keep looking for the common thread.